This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to. Peter Seberg, good morning, Robert. Good morning, good afternoon, dear listeners, wherever you are in the world. Good morning. We record on Monday morning, and a lot has happened in the last few days, I think. We have a lot of news about Google, and Alphabet dominates today our news part. And in the main part, I talked to Knut Lasse-Lüth from IoT Analytics about trends in industrial AI, which we got to know at the Siemens AI with Purpose Summit. Do you remember? I recall, yeah. It's a couple of weeks ago now, right? Two weeks, yeah. They invite, I, well, I recall it was very busy, right? We did this the first time a year ago. Yeah. Um, and now it felt like there was at least double, if not, you know, three times as many people visiting. Yeah, there. absolutely. A lot of industrial leaders and it was very interesting event for us too. And yeah, the first episode was Knut Lasse you will hear today in our main part in this podcast. But let's start with the news part. First one on Google, second one as well. And my third one is also about Google. Oh, shouldn't <laughs> be. I talk about Microsoft in the meantime as well. Okay. Not that people think they were buying. So, well, there was an interview actually uh, on YouTube. I'm not sure who did it, but you can you can find it. It's very good. I liked it really. It was about Google the new Xerox, but it's not necessarily about supporting or whatever way being positively biased towards Google, right? It was very interesting. It's a formal Google engineering director. His name is Joseph Tanaski, and he draws a parallel between Xerox having invented the modern user interface. For those of you not uh, too young, not too old, that must have been like 30 years ago, I guess, they invented you know, this modern user interface, but they had no clue what to do with it. And I believe Bill Gates, as one maybe of many people, visited, and he thought, oh, that's good. You know, and eventually, Microsoft, they turned it into a, a viable product, right? So, And he is making the parallel and says, you know, what about then Google having invented at least uh, you know, a, a majority, I would say, my words, of the base large language model technology, you know, like Transformers, we come to that later as well, yeah, towards OpenAI and Microsoft having turned it into a product. Now, here comes one quote-unquote. He says, a company like Google sitting on a whole bunch of AI models, not understanding what people want to do with them, how to package them, how to sell them, how to provide them, and then these models, they make it out of the company to the open source community, which just goes bananas and tries a thousand experiments every day. Wow. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. What's your opinion? I was just, as I was preparing my brain for this interview, I came back to uh, Christensen and uh, Andy Grove, Only the Paranoid Survive. Um, you know, they have been describing this phenomenon when I was, at some point, I said I was never going to use the name again, but it was in the 1990s that uh, Clayton Christensen, I think he passed away a couple of years ago, and and they wrote the book about this, uh, this scenario was written by them, by 
by Christensen and then Andy Grove took it over. He, he made his own book, How Only the Paranoid Survive. Let's see if Google is paranoid enough. It's, um, it's a part of a second piece of news I have. It sounded, I mean, it was interesting that this, you know, leading engineer, former leader engineer, that he made this, um, this parallel. Those things happen. They happen all the time. They may have even happened, is what I'm thinking about right now, to my former Intel company. I just, you know, when you see how NVIDIA shoots through the roof is, I believe, a direct translation of a, of a German saying, but, and how the, 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 the producers of standard silicon, maybe not, that's too, too wide, but of at least the standard processors, number one being Intel, you know, how they're relatively losing interest, so to say, at least with those people who have a big expectation that may have in the end, you know, happened to Intel themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. But you mentioned this Xerox topic. I have one news from Google where they have now a really interesting product for industrial application. Maybe I can switch to my news because I think two weeks or one week ago, we recorded in our robotics podcast an episode with Thorsten Kröger and Rainer Bischoff from Intrinsic. And this company Intrinsic is a alphabet robotics company. Thorsten is the CTO and Rainer is the general manager of Germany. And they showed their first product and it's called Flow State. For me, in my opinion, it's a mix mixture of a platform and an engineering tool. And AI plays a crucial role in, in this engineering tool. I have, I have one quote from the podcast. That's Thorsten. Our job is to make robots more flexible. For that, we need machine learning. Our controller can process real-time data and the models can be built in flow state or used in existing application. One example is a visual perception. With the upload of a CAD model, the user can start training a machine learning model and deploy it later in less than 10 clicks with a mouse. The intrinsic infrastructure supports him, takes out complexity and manages the data and deployment. In the coming weeks, we will enrich the solution with even more machine learning solution. Then something very interesting because they talk about synthetic data and Rainer added, yes, it's based on CAD data of the product to be recognized. Millions of synthetic images are generated with an ML pipeline with the help of which a product can precisely recognize in its position and orientation for production purpose in the most diverse situation with regard with regard to background and exposure so it's very very interesting this two flow state for the robotics industry or for robotics use cases and it's a little bit a low code platform i would say they have a good user interface for this machine learning everything is back in the backlog where you can't see it as a user it's very interesting i think now the thought that comes to my brain and i'll talk a bit later but the hugging face uh, what is it open And I saw that there is one backing company, I think we'll come to it later, out of the oil industry. The thought I have here is like, so where is a company being Google with a 240 billion you know, search uh, industry? Have they started kind of looking at different markets? You know, is this the first time, I don't know since when, intrinsic that they kind of operate in the B2B, in this case, robotics market. That is one. And second, I was just talking about it yesterday, about the Google uh, Glass. You recall that one, you know, 10 years ago. That was a that was not a, a huge success. So that's, that's then again a product in a business. I actually... 
I'm not sure. Yeah, I can say it. I mean, I, I needed a new cell phone and in the end it became this Google. So the point is like, have they started moving into many different segments? Are they trying out? And I'll come again back to the base large language model market, but are they trying to, you know, spread out their fingers in different markets because they know like the big oil global countries that are you know diversing into all kinds of different markets and segments because they know at some point in time you know oil is going to be maybe less important yeah i think it's very interesting because one year and some months ago they hired this robotics gene x experts Rainer bischoff uh, Thorsten kruger andreas biedemeyer from abb so they hired a lot of ot specialist i would say and then they combine it with their it power in mountain view so it's very interesting but google had a lot of uh, robotics companies already started i remember but and a lot of robotics companies had no success i'm very interested in this intrinsic approach because the look and feel about this tool it's built with gazebo that's a visualization tool it's very very interesting and could change a lot i think in the robotics market looking forward to don't we have a intrinsic representative at our no upcoming or not this no 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 but we can use the the podcast from our robotics podcast i will put this link in the show notes it's in english and you can listen to it too peter very good now google of course is not going to leave the uh, large language model market to microsoft openai all the other ones i come to that uh, a little bit later they have created a uh, what they call a generative ai learning pass about 10 free courses They're all one-day courses. I'm not sure if that means one day or a couple of hours. They're all entry-level, as far as I can see. They're all free of charge. Uh, I'm going to give a quick overview again, uh, not too much, not that you listeners are going to hold me or Robert biased against, but then you just heard already us just talking very openly about you know what's uh, what's happening to companies. But it's very and, popular when we promote some courses because a lot of <laughs> listeners writes and uh, writes to us and say, oh, I was impressed by the courses <laughs> and it was very nice that you mentioned these courses. I tried okay. it. Yeah, they're very looking forward to this. So I'll do that quickly, but I haven't seen them myself before yet. So, But then and again in the past already, like four or five years ago, you recall I did this Excel with hundreds of courses and Google was always on it as the very first it was very professionally that's where people five years ago you could hold your cup of coffee in front of your notebook and then your face and then two minutes later you could ask it is this cup of coffee is this Peter or is this a cup <laughs> you know no that was very very impressive right there. and by the way again just that you don't hold us um, biased there is also a new OPC Foundation podcast and when I just talked about the Google Glass that's how I got it because I recorded last week uh, a podcast with Eric Barnstedt from Microsoft on the industrial metaverse. That will go live coming Friday. It's a different channel, but also very interesting. Everything coming together. And that's where, of course, again, the... But you are not, not a big fan about this topic, industrial metaverse, right? Ooh, no, I'm not sure about that. I'm not uh, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the Google Glass or the... What is the Microsoft name for it? Uh, the glasses? Yeah, yeah, I think. The yeah. augmented reality so to say but you know listen to it others you, you listeners listen to it as well so that's just another uh, perspective in this case for microsoft so 
Anyway, a quick overview of these uh, courses. There is an introduction to generative uh, AI. There is an introduction to large language models, introduction to responsible AI. This is, of course, the Google view on that. This, I think, is very important kind of uh, what I thought. I haven't been there yet. I think this is probably about, I must say, it feels like this responsible AI approach may have been the reason for this Xerox moment. We are a responsible company. We have, six years ago, 2007, Transformers. We have invented Transformers. They're very good. They're very powerful, very capable. We're not even talking about what has happened again this this week about, again, the world of AI research is saying, you know, the world is going to go down. Uh, so, and for that reason, we as a responsible company, we cannot yet put into action these transformers. That's my that's my view, right? Of course, also a business perspective. I already said, you know, 225 billion search <laughs> advertising <laughs> revenue. Yeah. You want to be very careful with that. Uh, I already talked about the Clayton Christensen. Number four, there is an introduction to image generation. That's about diffusion models. Then there's encoder, decoder architecture. A lot of things that those of you listeners who have been following, who are more like software developers, other kind of developers, you have read about him, you know him, but others of you are relatively new and also feel like myself that we need to have a better, more detailed understanding. I think they're very important topics. Attention mechanism, here it is. You know, attention is all you need. Paper 2007 is from Google. We must say that. That's the way it is. Then transformer models, creating image captioning models. We had the podcast with Hannah Binke from Arantix last week, and her quote was, you know, chat GPT or the language models is not everything. Thing. You know, there's other things, and especially in our industrial AI podcast market, uh, we many, many, many times have image. So this is about image captioning models. And then finally, there's one about generative AI studio. I think that's uh, Google. That sounds very good. With the rain pouring down where I am, I will be looking into some of these in the next couple of days. Uh, and at the same time, I thought, of course, these are not the only ones. Interesting you say that our listeners, they come back to you, to me. Uh, we have referred to Andrew Wang. He has also three new classes, building systems with ChatGPT, Langchain for LLM, uh, and then there's another one also about how diffusion models work. So I know it's too much, too many. I guess in the end, this unfamous quote along the lines of, you know, not AI is going to make lose you or mine job in general for all you listeners in relation to colleague, colleagues with the same job without AI, with AI. I would say that, you know, it's always the person who's going to continue to develop in the end is going to, you know, do something. And then I thought about when I was with this company, Intel, in the 1990s, you know, their baseline was everybody improves 3%, whatever that <laughs> number came from. I was a 5% even. That means ah, absolutely, Peter. If you did not develop yourself, you would always fall back. That's, that's what this is about as well. So just develop yourself further. Yeah, absolutely. At very interesting, Peter. Thanks for a lot for this courses, and then you have still have an eye on these courses and what's happening in this courses and about this courses. Do you have more news, or we can we switch into the main one, part? Yeah, no, I do have yep. one. So, as we just said, it's not only OpenAI; it's uh, it's not the Transformers, it's not Google. And what I did is I hypothesized um, a bit. I said, like, will we 
all of us, you know, are we going to own, are we going to use, promote, maybe even defend, you know, aficionados, our large language model brands like today we own, use, promote, maybe defend those of us, you know, our whatever, cars, smartphones, jeans, whatever, those of us listeners, more or less, you know, some are big supporters of brands, other ones don't care at all. So, but that, that's my point, right? So, you know, it, with the idea of what you're still using Llama 30B, I switched to Falcon 40B instructor months ago. So whatever, I, I guess that we're better start making ourselves knowledgeable of what's out there uh, with regards to large language models. Um, and that's another task on your plate, on my plate. So, and then what better way to do that than looking at this uh, Hugging Face Open LLM leaderboard? You know, that's a quote unquote. They say with the plethora of large language models chatbots being released week upon week, often with grandiose claims of their performance, it can be hard to filter out the genuine progress that is being made by the open source community, which model is the current state of the art. So the open LLM leaderboard aims to track, rank, evaluate LLMs and chat bots as they are released. So what I did is I jumped in and I'm going to refer to what I suggested later. So the first, the number one, the current number one, that is this Falcon 40B. I hadn't heard about it. Of course I hadn't because I hadn't gotten in and there. And then we should never forget that we as listeners, as consumers, we are being bombarded with information. And then, of course, the Google, Microsoft and all the other ones. I was part of one of them with the huge marketing budgets. They get, you know, 99% of the of the bandwidth of our communication. So this is today the, the number one best open source model currently available, outperforms Llama, now if you mm -hmm. put it LL, Llama is only for, for scientific reasons. It's not for commercial. Uh, sure, but that's again. But there you go. So you already know a bit, and I know a bit, and and then many listeners will know many more. Or stable LM, red pajama, MPT, and then what was interesting? I got just into one, and you click on it, and you see who's who's developing this. It's developed by Technology Innovation Institute (TII). And you had no idea who they are. They are part of the Abu Dhabi government's yep. Advanced Technology Research Council. I had never heard of them. And they oversee technology research in the Emirates. So now we come back to the, the beginning where, where I suggested, well, uh, is Google you know, just diversifying, putting their fingers out into different markets as obviously Abu Dhabi and many other parts of the oil world in a positive sense, I guess, yep, yep. you know, let, let them, let them do their thing in a positive sense, knowing that the oil world is going to, is changing, right, in some parts of the world more than in other ones. That's what I felt. So, and, and for me, I'm going to keep this one open. A lot of interesting things to learn. I did write to Thomas Wolf. He's the co-founder of Hugging Face. With an interview request, if you happen to know Thomas, you know, let him know that we would like him to be on our podcast. And the same, maybe that's the final one, and you can talk to that, to Vanessa Khan, who is the new co-founder and CEO of Europe of Nionic. Nionic, yeah. yeah. Nionic is a new kid on the block. It's an AI company building high-powered and trustworthy foundation models for Europe. That's the goal. At, uh, that's the vision. Our vision is to improve the world through the development and application of generative AI technology made in Europe. It's very interesting. We wish you 
all the best for this approach. It could be a little bit difficult, but you, we need to start this. Yeah, or we slept so long, so maybe it's a good idea. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I believe that when I, when you listeners are going to be looking at this open LLM hugging face, you're going to see already many open source models there. So, but I can't, I can't comment on that. It's way too early for me. But it's a very good point. Are we, you know, are we really behind, or, or do certain models already? support oh that's a huge topic and we have a discussion do we need this big lms or there was also a discussion with a with a colleague in from a university about this topic yeah all comes together and the the big 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 thing here i believe is in the end it's it's far away from you know looking at a at a, at a production site which is still the core of what we are but I, i believe nevertheless that all of us listeners in this market or other markets and that's always the same thing if you're medical if you're in retail doesn't matter it all comes together and the big thing is you know are we going to keep our languages right that is in the end i mean and and on one hand if i say you know the, the new programming language is english yes that was a um, kind of a maybe funny statement i but i b do believe in it but it's i said english right i didn't say the new programming language is going to be german or french or indonesian or whatever there's another 200 or 2000 languages out there and because and i believe even what is it altman ceo openai he suggests that we want to work with with countries so their languages are going to be better represented because the internet is you know whatever 90 plus percent english and we need to be very careful and there was this other thing about I believe, you know, we're, we're going to need to um, go back to books again at some point in time because everything is digital. And But that's a complete new topic. Yeah, we should stop here, Peter. We should stop here. And we should, uh, you have one more use or we go into the main part? No, no, no. That was enough for today, I believe. That was enough for today. So we switch <laughs> into the main part with Knut and talk a little bit about IoT analytics and about trends in industrial AI. So, Peter, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much and greetings to Munich. Very good. See you soon and a nice time to our listeners, to yourself. Bye-bye. Hello, Knut. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome. You had an interesting workshop about industrial AI and market trends. Please, before we start, introduce yourself briefly to the listeners. Who are you and why you are in this AI business? My name is Knut. I run a company called IoT Analytics, which kind of suggests that we do something AI-related, but it's actually market research. And we are looking at a IoT markets, AI markets, cloud markets, edge markets. So a lot of the topics that are moving the industrial space right now. And we specifically have research dedicated to industrial AI, predictive maintenance, machine vision. We've written 200 plus pages. And when I say we, I have a team of about 20 people and we look at this, we interview people and we publish it for our clients and a lot of it also on the internet that can be read and downloaded. Where's the connection between IoT and AI? I would say there's a lot of connection. I think IoT, first of all, describes connected devices and assets. And if you want to run AI in the industrial space, most often you need to have data coming from sensors that are connected. Of course, you can do some AI in your CRM system and other things where you don't necessarily need sensor data. But every time 
that you do it with anything operational, be it in production, maintenance, supply chain, wherever, that's, that's where IoT comes in as just purely as a data source. IoT is the first step in the strategy for AI companies, for, for machine building companies? Mostly, yes. So, so typically what we see is that first you need to have a basic infrastructure in place so that your assets can actually be connected. So that means you need to have the necessary sensors, perhaps the necessary PLCs, things that can... Then you need to connect that somehow to some central system. It used to be on-premise server. More and more it's going to some kind of cloud or hybrid cloud setup. We're talking about protocols that make it easy. So we have, we're seeing things like OPC UA, MQTT, some more lightweight protocols coming up that can essentially digest this data. And now there's a lot of talk of companies putting things either in a central data lake or in some way that they can query in different departments from a company can actually query that data and use it for their use cases. Only when you have that in place can you really do AI. But oftentimes AI is the, even then just a second step because companies first build dashboards, do smaller things that AI, and then they think about, okay, now, now what about AI? So it's typically a multi-year journey that we're seeing from various companies, but AI is then kind of often the last steps. I described a very linear process. It's not always that linear, but I would say AI is, is, is very often, once you have that core infrastructure in place that you can get to that data, you start to think about AI, and then the use cases are plenty. I mean, you, you're talking about AI all the time, so you know that. I want to come back later, Rob, about this data ops you mentioned in your in your workshop. But let's talk about a little bit about the general trends in industrial AI. What do you see in the moment? First of all, I see that AI is becoming more important when you think of the corporate agenda and you think about uh, how important. Are they. So the number one thing for any CIO in an industrial company right now is cybersecurity. We see that across all our, our surveys that you don't want to get hacked into. And there are, every week there's an, another news. AI has been coming up from somewhere way down there as one of those playgrounds into, hey, this is now actually starting to become one of the top five things that we as a company uh, want, need to prioritize and want to do. So I think, first of all, AI as a topic is just really, you picked your area very well, I would say, because it's a very big trend right now. But it's a hype too, right? You have a hype. Some people say hype is okay, hype is bad. What is it? Is it a bad hype in the moment? But with this chat GPT, large language models... Of course, there's a lot more interest now with ChatGPT. But what is happening is AI was always under the radar, kind of. Some people were doing it. And now the C, the board, the CEO says, hold on, this ChatGPT thing, I can, I get it. Is this the iPhone effect? The iPhone moment? From my, from my yeah. point of view, of course. I mean, the, now what happens is that the board has this thing in, in their hands. They see what it's capable of doing. They're saying, damn, we got to do something with this. We got to have this as well. And as they're doing that, they're re-evaluating all their other AI use cases as well. So that's what's happening now. That's what you're seeing across the board. And there's some really interesting implementations of that already. I was just at Hanover Fair a couple of weeks ago, and, and it, was, it was great to see that companies have already started to offer ChatGPT interfaces for PLC programming and other things. But there are a lot more AI use cases which are not dependent on ChatGPT. We should not forget this use case because there are huge opportunities, I think. In the industrial space, from our research, the top two use cases are predictive maintenance and machine vision slash quality control, camera-based something. Those are by far the biggest use cases. But there is a lot more. There's some, some upcoming which kind of 
look at actually having automated control in some form or fashion, even though that's still small, but I think it's a it's one of those kind of the whole, whole reinforcement stuff. Exactly. And 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 you you start seeing that maybe not driven out of Europe. I've seen a couple of Japanese companies really going big on that and trying to really have chemical energy operations performed by AI rather than a human. We have to wait for the AI to stop this <laughs> reinforcement learning for a chemical company. I think that's a high-risk use case. Right? For sure. But it's happening. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing it. I can't really talk much about the technicalities because there's the other people who, knew yeah, that, sure. who know that better than me. But that's one of those probably smaller right now, but very interesting upcoming trends. You asked me about trends earlier. I mean, there's obviously the trend of having more more AI hardware in industrial setups. So what you're seeing is, for example, the Siemenses, the backoffs uh, of this world are implementing specific AI chips, so GPUs and other things from the likes of NVIDIA, AMD and so on, in their hardware specifically so that they can also offer inference at the edge. That is a clear big trend. What about this virtual PLC stuff? Because then you, you won't have the problem with the edge device, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, the virtual PLC thing, from my point of view, is not necessarily an AI trend. At least I don't classify it as that. It's one that I we've been looking at for three or four years now, and the potential of that is great because what is happening right now is a company like Siemens sells a PLC, which is a piece of hardware which tells your manufacturing line what to do, and they make a lot of money with it. It's, it's just a very stupid, dumb piece of hardware, that, which is very, very, very expensive. Now what happens is the virtual PLC and Siemens announced this. They are just selling the software that, that runs this. But you can put that software on any device you want. And that doesn't have to be a Siemens device. That can be an Advantech IPC. It can be a Dell server. It can be whatever. It has to have fulfill a few of the requirements. But that really changes the game of how control could be done in the future. It allows you to do a lot of things you couldn't do before as an end user. And you probably save costs. Now the question is, will that mean company like Siemens loses revenue to be determined because I think the pricing on this is still but I think this is I, I personally don't yet yet see the AI element in there although that's probably where control finds it a bit easier to interface with a virtual PLC rather than, than if, if that's what you meant yeah you mentioned these AI hardware guys from USA a lot of companies come from USA we have this AI software uh, guys who are the players in this AI software game Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, as always, the Americans. I mean, from the very top, the biggest beneficiaries are clearly the cloud companies. That's the three big ones. There's also obviously the people who integrate AI into our existing offering. So a company like SAP that offers, there's monopoly almost market leader in, in, in ERP systems is integrating AI functionality into that and is, is probably going to be able to do new things, sell more and so on. But that won't, like in terms of the overall, probably this will not change the game for them so much because at the end of the day, the Microsofts, the Googles and the Amazons of this world, they are the ones where the workloads are actually being, the compute is being performed. And so they are winning from that point of view. Now in the industrial space, there is an opportunity here for Europe because in industrial, in the industrial space itself, You have companies like Schneider Electric, Siemens, Beckhoff, and a few other smaller ones, Phoenix Contact, and so on, who are quite well established and who have an opportunity here to work with their customer base to do things. And so the IT companies from the US, they find it really hard to, to get all the way down there. And you see a lot of partnerships happening now between those, th those two companies. So I think 
That's where they will not roll over everything, the, the American IT guys, I think. Yeah, but you need to buy American hardware, you have to buy American software. And what is the sweet spot for these companies? I just said everything runs on, on, on the cloud. I mean, that's not entirely true because yeah. you have this edge revolution going on and, and, and edge is becoming more powerful. Uh, and not every company providing edge hardware comes from the US. In fact, some come from Taiwan. And those companies I just mentioned also make their own hardware. And so that's, that's where there's a little bit more balance in that setup. And then you mentioned the AI services companies. Which companies are playing in this field, in this AI services? What do you mean? Is it consulting or tech consulting? What kind of companies? I mean, yes, there is consulting for sure. Companies that are working with AI need to think about business models, how to bring that to market. And at the end of the day, you have someone consult you rather. Um, but I don't think that's where the big money is. The big money is in the, the issue that we talked about for the last years, which is Perhaps getting a bit better right now is the fact that you just don't find the AI experts who can do it for you. If you are a small machinery builder in the middle of Bayern or Baden-Württemberg or somewhere, there is only limited uh, amount of knowledge available. And so that's where typically the services companies come in and, and help you almost like a work for hire, help you to develop models, help you to develop a service to code, to train and so on. And so these are the usual suspects like an Accenture, like some of these uh, Indian-based uh, with a big US presence, Cognizant, Infosys, and so on. But it's also a lot of small shop shops. I mean, there's, especially in the industry, there's some OT engineering companies like Zülke, or I've just met someone from Reply. So those companies, and then there are smaller shops, uh, sometimes only 10 people or so, who are specialized in some data science and some, some of these other things. When you look at your analysis and your sheets and your reports, do these companies hire new AI expertise or employees for, for the next step to go into this industrial AI area? You mean do the, do the big companies hire? Yeah, and the small and medium-sized companies hire? I mean, they are a little bit more cautious now than they were a year ago in terms of hiring. It's just right now there is a slowdown. And uh, what we do is we monitor, for example, the open jobs uh, that, that are on the internet um, and, and we do keyword-based analysis of how many open jobs are available for what kind of keyword. And so we've seen from the peak of, I think it was about June, uh, May, June 2022, which was pretty much the peak of, of, of open jobs, to now we've seen almost the number of open jobs that have AI in it, ML in it, have data science in it, have almost halved. So in, in, in the world, so you've clearly seen uh, that that's coming down, which, by the way, is in line with some of the other technology-related job uh, declines. So if you look at cloud things, that's declined even slightly more, generally speaking. Um, so it's all coming down. And right now, those companies are a bit more cautious. In What about this prompt engineer? Is it a new... Is it a new yeah, we're not new, monitoring that You have yet, to monitor I, that. Yeah. We, we probably should start doing <laughs> yeah. that. But I can, from my own experience, I can say for sure uh, it is something that I'm quite fascinated with what my, my guys sometimes do with uh, ChatGPT and, 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 and just having the right prompt and, 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 ask, and doing a, the right follow-up question and, and forcing ChatGPT to give you an answer on things where it's a bit vague at the beginning. And so 
I mean, I, I certainly do see that that skill being important, whether that's an entire job, I don't know that. We should monitor that, yeah, for sure. You mentioned these open jobs. Do you think they do it by their own in their companies now alone? Or do they invest in education in their staff? Because I'm not sure that you can participate in the AI race when you do not hire highly qualified people. Yeah, at the end of the day, we had a survey. I would have to look at the exact results. We had a survey on what's for you in your, generally speaking, in your smart manufacturing, smart factory strategies. What do you prioritize in terms of retaining the skills? And is it the hiring that you're hiring new people? And the number one by far was it's about our own people first and by retraining and making sure that our own people are qualified and their skills get upgraded. So that clearly is in the industry, in the manufacturing industry, is the top theme rather than recruiting this. I think one of the things I hear sometimes is that the problem often is, yes, you can have a very skilled AI person who, who has done this in, let's say, in Google Cloud, who knows how to do everything, but he has no clue about the process running, let's say, in an automotive company, how this process works and, and which data sets. Domain knowledge, yeah. Domain knowledge. It comes down to domain knowledge and to have both. And I think that's, you know, for years we've had that issue that very, very few people have both. But at the end of the day, that's what you need. And I think that's why companies realize just hiring external people just doesn't do it. When you talk to the companies and when you do your research, how do you see the AI strategy? What kind of AI strategy do these companies have? Very, very different strategies. There's some that go very much top-down, driven from the, from the top, where it's corporate, it's in the corporate vision almost. I wish I had a good example for you right now, but I, I would have to think about it. And there's those who kind of have it more bottom-up, where it's they want to encourage employee innovation from day one. They want to make sure that so some of the companies, I saw this in a large chemicals, uh, European chemicals company, they have really invested into helping all the different people in their plants come up with ideas all the time, trialing, testing it out in small pilot projects and, and going through a kind of a typical five, six step process of ideas to proof of concept to then at some point rolling out things that really work. And AI being a part of that, but not, I mean, digitization is the bigger theme. AI is only one part of that. I think... There's certainly a difference between how top-down driven versus bottom-up employee-enabled is it. I mean, generally speaking, innovation, that's always been a discussion of where you are. But I don't think I can give you good insight on actual AI strategies. I have to also admit, I sometimes wish I, as a, as a CEO of this company, could remain inside every single piece of research we publish but it gets difficult as you grow and you have different people in the team who are experts on something and so i'm sure we as a company have some good answers to the question of ai strategy but i just don't have it in my head right now yeah sure let's look a little bit into the future which role ai industrial ai plays in the next five to ten years the question is whether at some point we really care about it anymore and talk about it because it'll probably be present in a lot we do so i think ai will play a role of being behind the scenes and doing things whether it's those use cases i just talked about of your predicting asset failure or you're doing quality control or your but we talk about this use cases five years ago right 
And now it's getting industrial grade. I mean, the implementation of those use cases has been gradual. And we've been seeing that. I mean, there have been some companies who started implementing these things three, four or five years ago. But we definitely see pickup. We see a step change now with, with this top-down driven CEO saying, wait, we got to do more about this. So I think it's no question that there's more AI coming to everything. And also the thing is you have a lot of offerings. You have more tools available now. Than, than you had before. So, like I said, I think we, we will not necessarily talk about AI as such a dramatic new thing anymore in five years, if you ask me. I think it'll be everywhere and it's probably, you know, maybe the discussion shifts more around trying to understand where did AI make a decision, where did a human make a decision, what's, um, what's enabled and so How to scale it, how to form a business model out of it yeah. and uh, how energy consumption is about AI models. The, the energy consumption of AI models or the sustainability of AI. Yeah, I think that's a topic that is kind of bent in a way that people want it to be. Yeah. This whole like, hey, AI helps in the sustainability journey. IoT helps in the sustainability. A technology in general helps companies be more sustainable because you can track everything and when if you track everything only then can you say where you optimize and so on and it's true we need to have that we, we need to have that if we truly want better handle on how we control co2 emissions and other things we need to be able to track and we need to have ai assisted solutions that help us reduce and so on and there are some some good use cases where ai is helping in the design of uh, making things more sustainable but The big but that I think it doesn't get addressed enough or maybe even not at all is all of this AI uses a lot of electricity, consumes a lot of power, is extremely fat. Exactly. And it's millions of dollars in electricity bills to retrain some of these large language models. What are we doing? We're creating a monster here of more demand for electricity, which is largely coal, gas. In German energy mix, it would be about 50-50, but in other countries, even more. And so that also needs to be considered as you are developing your AI strategy. You know, think about the sustainability footprint that has from a, and the same goes for IoT, you know, every connected device consumes more power. So, yes, there are some companies using some of you talked about virtual PLC. I've seen some companies use that and say, well, you need less devices. You can do it more centrally. It means less computation overall. And there are others. But in general, what we're doing right now is we are connecting everything. Everything consumes power. And then we are running huge models on top of that, uh, which consumes even more, more power. If we are serious about helping this planet, then... This has to be a big part of the consideration. Thank you, Knut. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. I was happy to have been here.